I don't scare easy. Maybe that's my ego talking, but I like to think it's the truth. The military humbles you, but it also teaches you what you're capable of. It teaches when fear is and isn't appropriate. Three weeks ago, my fear was very appropriate. Unless I dreamt the entire day, there's no explanation for what I saw. There's at least no explanation that makes any sense. I've gone hunting every season since I retired from the military. That's 10 years now. Deer, boars, elk. I've been up and down the food chain. I eat what I kill. I'm not a trophy hunter. You might not even know I was a hunter if you just came by my place some random afternoon. I don't keep gun magazines on the coffee table. My gun closet is tucked away in the garage, safely away from the eyes and the hands of visitors. I don't talk about hunting. It's my personal time. Out there, away from civilization, with a rifle in my hands, it can be a comforting feeling. For better or for worse, the experience is calming. Usually. Three weeks ago, calm was thrown out the window. I had recently moved my deer tower from its usual spot in the Okanagan Forest. I set it up about 30 kilometers northwest. My only motivation was the change in scenery. In hindsight, that might not have been a good enough reason. Something found me out there. Despite all the camouflage and the concealment, something picked up my scent off the wind and came right to me. It hunted me like a fox on a hen. I was sitting in my little hen house, all warm and unprepared. It expected me to be an easy meal, I'm sure. If I'd been any less lucky that day, I probably would have been. I didn't hear it coming. That's embarrassing, but I really didn't. I only saw it when it breached the tree line and sulked into the clearing. It was massive. I thought at first it was a bear. Its fur was just too long, too thick and wild. When I aimed my gun in its direction, I saw the beast for what it was. A wolf, I think. A wolf larger than any animal I've ever seen in North America. It was looking at me and drooling. Starving, I could tell. I was shocked. I was appropriately afraid, I think. My rifle was not the caliber designed to take out animals of that magnitude. It kept coming toward the deer tower. I slid my finger onto the trigger, just in case I'd have to shoot to keep the beast moving. The base of my tower was ten feet off the ground. When that thing got close and stood on its hind legs, its front claws scraped the corner of the floor. I shot it. I shot it and it didn't flinch. It roared inside almost annoyed, and it mauled the tree tower itself. It could have jumped up there, I bet. It could have joined me in the box and had me cornered. I don't know why it didn't. Maybe it was just playing with me. Maybe I pissed it off and it wanted to piss me off right back. It tore through the legs in seconds. The next thing I knew, the entire structure was collapsing. The floor fell from beneath my feet and I went tumbling with it. I hit the ground hard. I lost my breath. Most of the tower collapsed right on the top of the wolf, or the dog, or bear, or whatever that thing was. I still don't know what it was. The weight of the tower knocked it down. It disoriented it. The bottle of dough urine I had with me busted open. The scent must have hit that animal like a whirlwind. It thrashed and splintered the remains of the stand and gave me just enough time to run. I made it to the tree line with my rifle in hand. I knew I couldn't outrun it. 
It was only a matter of time before it landed on my scent yet again. I turned around and used the side of a tree to steady my aim. I was still pretty shaken from the fall. I waited. I held my breath and I just waited. I watched this wolf thing rake its claws through the earth, searching for the source of the burning odor. When its paws came back up empty, it started to look around. I watched it as it stood up again and realized a horrifying truth. Its body just sat naturally upright as it did on all fours. It didn't struggle to hold its balance at all. It spotted me again. It huffed and it stepped toward me, this time walking on two legs. Luck found me again in that moment. If the wolf hadn't stood up, I would have been aiming at its shoulders and its back. On its hind legs, though, I could get to its stomach. I could get to somewhere important. When I fired this time, it yelped. I screamed with every ounce of air in my lungs. I screamed until I was empty. It must have been enough. I watched the wolf turn and flee in the other direction. I waited again. I knew I had to. I had to make sure that it wasn't circling around me, trying to approach me from the flank. It took me ten hours to make it back to my car. Every sound and movement put me on edge. I don't scare easy. I didn't used to anyway. The more time that passes between that encounter and now, the more I want to know what that animal was. I tell you one thing, though. I'm not willing to go back and get those answers. I'm built for a lot of things, but hunting that isn't one of them. I can take my rifle anywhere else in the world. That monster can have that forest. Hi, Donovan. I kind of hesitate to tell this story. I mean, police officers seem to get a bad rap, no matter what we do these days. I don't want to be known as some delusional city employee who imagines things, but I guess if I stay anonymous, it's fine. I work in law enforcement in a small city in Kansas. I've been on the force for a good 15 years. One morning, my partner and I responded to a call of a possible burglary in an older area of town not far from the station. We got there and scouted around the perimeter briefly before knocking on the front door. The elderly lady living there alone was terrified. She didn't open the door, but she stuck her head out of an upstairs window. She said she was too afraid to navigate through her house to open the front door for us. She told us where we can find the key hidden in her yard. As we were communicating with her, we kept looking around for any sign of trouble. There didn't appear to be any sign of a forced entry. The home had a front gate, and everything appeared secure. We got inside and did a quick walkthrough of the upstairs. The woman spoke with us from her bedroom doorway. She would only open the door halfway and said she was staying put in her room. We got her name and details. She told us that she had been sitting in her chair, when suddenly she started hearing banging on the interior door leading down into the garage. Many of the homes in that area are in a row house set up on each block. The garages are on the ground floor with the residents on the floor above. A lot of these houses have areas downstairs offset from the garage that are often used as in-law rental units. At this moment in my story, we had only checked out the upstairs residence and had not yet accessed the garage downstairs. She said she had initially gone downstairs, but the door handle started rattling. She described the banging as being incredibly loud, 
as if someone was kicking in the door, and the door handle was shaking violently. She became terrified at the thought that someone had gotten into the garage that was trying to break into her residence. She had called 911, and my partner and I showed up. When we had this info, we asked for another unit to begin making its way toward our location. We pulled out our weapons and flashlights and swept the upstairs area more thoroughly. We went downstairs to investigate the quarters on the lower level. We opened the door and descended into the dark downstairs. All the curtains were closed and barely any sunlight was getting in. When we got some lights on, it was like a time capsule in there. The entire downstairs area was like stepping into the 1970s. There was lots of dust, but otherwise perfectly preserved food and alcohol, books and magazines and etc. When we stepped into the garage, we found that the automatic garage door was no longer operational and a large old pristine Buick sat there looking like it never had left the lot. We found a closed door in the back and it led us to an old unused in-law unit with vintage furniture and appliances. The place made us feel that we had totally stepped back in time. When we stepped into the unit's bedroom, it looked like someone had gotten up, walked out to do some errands, and never came back. There were some personal items, combs, brushes, makeup, and jewelry on the dresser. The closet was full of old suits, hats, and dresses. We searched in every conceivable place for a person to be hiding, and we could find nothing suspicious. All the entrances and windows were locked and secure. I'd been to many burglaries and many home invasions, and I've never seen a place with no sign at all of an intruder. There were no footprints, and the dust wasn't disturbed. There were framed black and white photos and documents on the walls. One of them was a headshot of the lady we had met upstairs. I took a closer look, and to the right of her photo, there was a frame containing a birth certificate and a death certificate. The woman's name was on both, the same name that belonged to the woman upstairs. Next to her photo was a framed photo of an elderly man, and also his birth and death certificates hanging on the wall. At that point, every hair on the back of my neck was standing straight up. When my partner saw the documents, we both just stared at each other, and then we ran back upstairs straight to the room where we had spoken to her. The door was closed, and when we knocked on it, she didn't open it. We went into the room and it was completely empty. Nobody and nothing was in there. Just an empty, old, dusty room. We looked everywhere and found no sign of anybody. At that point, we canceled the other responding unit and went back to the station. Come to find out, the woman and her husband had been murdered in that house 30 years prior. Her son had been unable to move on from the event and had left the house like some kind of museum. As my partner and I left the station later and got back into our car, he just said, I don't know, man. Do you believe in ghosts? That was pretty much the end of that conversation. But this incident really sticks with me. She had seemed completely real, flesh and blood. If she wasn't real, how could she call 911? How could we have stood and talked to her face to face? It all just seems impossible and makes me question everything. I was a volunteer firefighter for a tiny Midwestern town. We would do fire safety demonstrations at our local schools and certain companies in town, 
but we rarely had an emergency call. In fact, I only remember three fire calls in town over my 15 years on the job. Fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, we were a suburb of a decently large city, so that kept us busy. We got a call in the middle of the week, about 11 at night, that there was a fire at the new town hall. Luckily, no one was inside at the time, and the only thing lost was the building. Our town had just approved plans for a new town hall and had begun building only a month ago, so it wasn't finished yet. The lot for the new town hall wasn't exactly in town. There was a natural area with prairies and woods between the downtown and the suburbs. The new town hall was built on a flat area that backed up to a marshland. It was either that or they would have to clear a bunch of trees in a wooded area. The marsh was small and flooded sometimes in the spring but the water never got anywhere close to the spot they were building on. One of the consequences of the town hall being there was that no one noticed it burning. There were no houses in the immediate area, but I heard there had been plans to clear the forest at some point and develop it. I doubt the plan is still in the works, though. The fire was called in by a young man driving home along the road. It couldn't have been more than 15 minutes from the time we got the call to when we arrived, but the building was completely destroyed already. We beat the sheriff there by a good 10 minutes. We got the fire out pretty quickly, considering. I'd estimate it had been burning for quite a while before we arrived. The only thing salvageable from the building was the cement slab. The sheriff wanted to start an investigation. None of the wilderness areas around the building suffered any damage. It was localized to the town hall. There was no gas or electricity to the building yet, and the workers had been using portable generators. They kept the generators locked up in their trailers overnight, so that really wasn't a likely cause of the fire. We assumed it was likely arson, but there wasn't anyone in town that had any reason to burn down the new town hall. The vote for the new town hall passed unanimously. The building had just begun construction, so all the records were still being stored at the old town hall which rules out anyone trying to destroy documents. It was a very strange case. This was the type of thing that happened in the city, not our small town, but it gets even stranger. The kid who had called it in stayed there and waited for the sheriff. He said he saw a man in a cape hanging around outside of the building when it was burning. He described the person about six feet tall and wearing what looked like to be a black cape. He couldn't see the face at all, but... He said they had glowing red eyes. Both the sheriff and I looked at each other and tried to refrain from laughing. A man in a cape with glowing red eyes? Is Dracula our arsonist? I couldn't believe it. The sheriff asked the kid to take a drug test. He agreed and was still adamant that his story was true. That there was a man out there with glowing red eyes and he last saw him heading towards the marsh. I helped the sheriff rope off the property with caution tape. He decided to start the investigation in the morning, when it was light out. As we were making our way around the back of the building, the sheriff noticed footprints in the dirt. I wouldn't have seen them in such dim lighting, but maybe that's why I'm not the county sheriff. I told him they were probably our footprints, since we had been around the outside of the building to put the fire out. But he stopped me and said, These definitely aren't yours. Maybe that kid did actually see somebody, but that begs the question, Who on earth is out here in bare feet and dressed in a cape setting things on fire? 
The sheriff tried to get some photos, but they weren't showing up, even with the flash. We looked at the camera, and it was just a blur. Now, I don't know what made both of us turn around and look towards the marsh, but we both did at the exact same time. I can't explain it, but it's like we both just knew something was out there, and something was, in fact, out there. I understood why the kid described the person as wearing a cape. If you didn't see him that well, you would have thought it would have been a long cape wrapped around his arms. But there was a full moon that night, and it gave the sheriff and I enough light to see that it was no cape. Those were wings. They were like bat wings, no feathers, and its eyes were definitely red. The sheriff yelled out to the creature, but as soon as he did, it disappeared into the marsh. He and I both stood there with our eyes fixed on the marsh for I don't know how long before I finally spoke. Are you going to go after it, I asked. The sheriff said, hell no. And that was the end of our conversation. The final results of the investigation were inconclusive, but I know that thing started the fire. I figure that must have been its land or something. The new town hall was moved to another area, and we never had any more problems.